The reading this morning is Psalm 100 and can be found on page 604 in the Church Bibles. Shout for joy to the Lord or the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Keep that psalm open. We'll be um, touching on it as part of this series we have on stewardship and it it may seem a bit strange in terms of us looking at stewardship that we started the first two weeks of the of the sermon series in the psalms Um, but i think until we get our heads around something about the majesty and the goodness and the extravagance of god our stewardship doesn't really begin to take off in any shape or form And so we need to get our our heads around some of this other bit about who God is and the response that he calls forth from us. People sometimes ask, how much should I give to God? Is there a calculation I can make as to what percentage of my money or, or my time or my gifts that I hand over to God? They may say if tithing is biblical, is it an upper or lower limit to what I should be giving to God? But to approach stewardship like that is to miss the point. You know, we could go back and we could look at the whole of the Old Testament and begin to work out some sort of ready reckoner. But what will we include? Well, there's tithing, there's um, free will offerings, there's grain offerings, there's salt offerings, there's wave offerings, there's atonement offerings, there's first fruits. The list goes on and on. It's an abundance of giving in response to the abundance of God. Robots might have an algorithm built in them which says how much they are to give each week. So when AI really takes over, and um, most of us aren't here, but it's robots in the congregation, um, they may have an algorithm which says, yes, I'm going to give this amount of time or this amount of my, uh, of my power to, to, to serve God. But we're not robots, thankfully. We're flesh and blood and spirit made in the image of the almighty creator God and made to worship him, to serve him, and to enjoy him. See, imagine the situation in a marriage where a husband or wife starts asking for a ready reckoner to determine how much they should love their partner. Now, tragically, some of us have maybe been dealt with marriages where that's been the case, and we've seen the destruction that's taken place. All the way through the New Testament in particular, Paul uses the imagery of marriage to reflect our relationship to God. It's there in the Old Testament too. We're not there to have a ready reckoner. We're there to give to God. In Psalm 104 last week, as we read that through and and maybe have looked at it in our small groups this week, we've looked at the abundant and extravagant gifting of God to us in so many different ways. 
good things that overflow. It's not just the necessities of the bread to sustain life that God gives to us. But read that psalm and we're told we also have the wine that gladdens the hearts and the oil to make our faces to shine as well. So it's the nice to have as well as the necessities that God pours out to us in his abundance and his extravagant love. Our giving is to be a response to that giving of God to us. You know, sometimes I think we've all actually turned into Gnostics and we draw a big division between the spiritual and the material. And we say, yeah, we'll give thanks to God for our spiritual gifts, but we forget about all the material things he's given us and the abundance that he's given us in material things for us to give back to him. They're both important and both are deserving of our thankfulness to God for all that he has given to us. We give because God provides. We give as a sign of our thanks to God. We're to give with a thankful and joyful heart, a thankfulness that is to be one of abandonment to the love of God because of all that he has shown to us in love and gift. So welcome to the world of Psalm 100. The origins of this psalm aren't really known. It may have been used at one of the great festivals. Tabernacles is the one particularly that some of the commentators point to. But others say no, it was used in the family setting or for individual use. But as I read the psalm afresh this past week, I reckon it's a worship leader's psalm. It's a worship leader who is encouraging a reluctant congregation to get off their backsides and to let loose for God. It points to the character of God right the way through. Look at it, verse 1, he's the Lord of all the earth. Verse 3, he's God, he's made us. Verse 3, he calls us his people. Verse 3, he calls us the sheep of his pasture. Verse 3, he is good. Verse 5, his love endures forever. Verse 5, and his love lasts down the generations. Verse 5. You know, one of the great delights at times in administering communion here has been when I've had four generations of the same family kneeling at the rail in front of me as we've given them communion. His love endures down the generations. I've been in Christchurch now for nearly 45 years and, and look back at those over that period of those who are now with the Lord, but down through the generations of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to as a church. Many of you know in the mid-60s, this church was on the point of closure with a congregation of 20. Yet God has been faithful to us as a church. That wonderful character of God. As we let those descriptions sink in, are we wanting to stand and to praise God yet? Can we say these words with our hands in our pockets? Can we really sing some of the great worship psalms and worship songs that we sing today with our arms crossed in front of us and our hands in our pockets? What are we saying about who we're worshiping? If we're doing that, I'm not saying we're all there with our hands in the air necessarily, but our body posture counts when we worship because it's a sign of how much we're handing ourselves over to God. If Dave was actually in the crowd the other night, I'm sure he'd have been his hands way high in the air and shouting as well. And I think um, some, of, some of you watching the cricket yesterday maybe were doing the same as well. 
as those catches got caught towards the end of the end of the match. But do we abandon ourselves to God in praise and worship? Where does God need to prize open our hearts to get in? I wrote those words just before reading Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this psalm. And um, verse 1, he begins, On your feet now, applaud God. We'll continue with that a bit later on. But if you're not convinced by God's character, then be cajoled by his commands. Eight imperative action verbs in four verses must rank as something of the record anywhere in Scripture, I reckon. Look at what we're asked to do. Shout, worship, or serve. Come, know, enter, enter, give thanks, praise. They're all actions that we're called for to respond to God's goodness and God's greatness and God's love towards us. That exuberant response in verse 2 is either worship or serve. It's an outpouring of thanks to God because we have cleared all the rubble away and seen his greatness revealed to us. We'll never understand it. We'll never get to the end of it. But let's have our eyes open to see what it is when when all the the, the stuff in front of us is cleared away. And I wonder what it is that clouds our vision from seeing God clearly. Is it our possessions? Is it our family? Is it our time? Is it our pleasures and pastimes? Is it our work? Is it our talents? What is it that clouds that vision of God? Now, all those things are good gifts. Don't misread me here. But if they take precedence over the giver, then we will never see the giver clearly. The psalmist is clear about that here. He reminds us whose we are. It's he who made us and not we ourselves, or as some of the older translations had, it's he who made us, not we ourselves. It's to him that we look for everything. Our culture is focused on self. Commenting on the the Times Rich List that was published today, one of the news bulletins this morning said, so many of it is a self-made people. And I was just thinking how many individuals were involved in actually helping those self-made people get their wealth. We're focused most frequently requested music at funerals that was uh, noted this past week is I did it my way. And if you go onto social media, it's full of selfies, isn't it? We didn't even need to ask somebody else to take hold of a camera or the phone to take a picture. It's all me. It's all me. Mine, mine, mine. It's like Gollum, isn't it? You know, we're holding class to the ring. My precious... I'm not going to let it go. The psalmist will have none of it. Drives a coach and horses through this. The command is that we turn our attention away from self and turn it to God. God is sovereign over all that we are and all that we have. God is guide and leader in our lives. Remember, a Middle Eastern shepherd walks in front of the flock, not behind it as we do in the English fashion. 
God as guide and leader in our lives, God who pours out his love from generation to generation, the God who is good, who has made all things fit for purpose. And what's to be our response? The psalmist couldn't be clearer, could they? Glad, joyful, and thankful praise. Glad, joyful, and thankful praise. So what does this have to do with our stewardship? Well, I'd suggest everything. We saw last week that we're to give with a mindset of abundance from all that God has given us. We give out of grateful thanks for all that he has lavished on us. Materially, spiritually, emotionally, aesthetically, and all the other allies we can find. And the call is to give joyfully and cheerfully. Last week, George referred back to 2 Corinthians, and I want to take us back there this morning. Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to become involved in a collection he was making for the poor in Jerusalem. And he points to the Macedonians as the ones to take a lesson from. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and then verse 5, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Notice that it was their overflowing joy that led to their generosity of all that God was doing with them, even in the midst of what they were suffering. And then goes on, Paul goes on to say, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They didn't give themselves first to their bank balance or the abacus with the calculations going on. They gave themselves first to the Lord with great joy. They served gladly and thanked him by their giving. When surveys are done in our diocese and elsewhere too, some of the most sacrificial giving doesn't come from those parishes which have a very rich economic demographic, but from some of the poorest. And that's a real challenge during our involvement with churches in Uganda and South Sudan, I've seen poverty that is greater than anything we could imagine here. Well, there are some places in our country which is coming very close to that at the moment. Yet in the church services there, I have seen joyful collections, the like of which I have never seen here, even on days when we have a gift day. There's something there about a glimpse of God's character, of God's love, of God's greatness, of God's loyalty, which shows itself in joyful giving. When Reverend Herbert Chaviri was here with us from Kalewe last year, as we spoke, one of his critiques was the way we treated the collection here in church. Now, some of that might be cultural. Much of our financial giving is not in the basket on a Sunday. We've done it electronically somewhere else. And I wonder, actually, if we've missed something by doing that, that we've divorced it from our worship. It's just an action we do at some other time. But actually, his critique cut deeper. He said, do we communicate our needs as a church within the church community? I'm not entirely certain we do that all that well. We need to work better at it. And he said, when we take up the offering, do we do it almost shamefacedly? 
You may have noticed that over the past few weeks, we're trying to change the wording and the approach that we take when we do the offering. And saying, you know, if you're just passing the basket by, then as you do so, offer yourself afresh to God for the coming week. And trying to make it that when we give thanks for the offering, it isn't just a, a silent word that I say over a basket when it's brought to me, but that we actually do that as part of our sending out at the end of giving thanks for all that God's given us. And from that, to send us out into the world in the coming week. So back to Paul, having used the Macedonians as an example of sacrificial giving, Paul then challenges the self-satisfaction of the Corinthian church. And actually, he's quite sarcastic in the way in which he does it. He says to the Corinthian church, since you excel in everything and you believe that you do, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, don't you? Of course you do. You excel in complete earnestness and you excel in complete love. See that you also excel in the grace of giving, he says. Well, those other things are good. Maybe they were doing them, but actually the way Paul phrases it suggests they had an inflated view of where they were. But then he adds on the end, excel in this grace of giving. So does Paul give them an equation to be used to determine what they're to give? Absolutely not. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're back to that joyfulness again of what we've decided before God to give. Then he goes on to say, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. We're straight back into Psalm 100 that expression of giving thanks to God in our giving. For Paul, you see, even need isn't a foundation for giving. The foundation for giving is thanks. So when our treasurer sends out a letter explaining the financial gap between what the church council has prayerfully considered God has called us to, and where our income is. How do we respond? What's our reaction? Is it one of, what can I afford? Or how can I give thanks to God even more extravagantly than I am already doing? Did you know that Christchurch very nearly didn't get built? When it was first mooted in the mid-1850s, insufficient money was raised to start building. And the whole project was put on hold for three or four years before sufficient giving came to enable this building to be put up. When a notice is given that we need more people to wash up after lunch club, and by the way, we do, (laughs) what is our reaction? Is our response driven by, have I got time? Or how can I make time to serve God, to worship God in this way? Do we offer through gritted teeth? Do we give through gritted teeth? If so, is that a bit like singing a worship song with our hands in our pockets? Our giving needs to flow from our understanding of God as the abundant and extravagant provider of all the good things we have to enjoy. 
like the Macedonians, we need first of all to give ourselves to the Lord and then let him do the rest. Our response to his giving is to respond with cheerful, joyful, and thankful hearts, demonstrated by our willingness to serve using the finances, the time, and the talents that he's poured out on us. We are but faithful stewards of what he has provided. But more of that next week. In the meanwhile, I'm going to read Psalm 100 from the message version. And um, as I do say, maybe Palace and the band can come up because we'll then offer ourselves in that hymn of Take My Life. This is Peterson's paraphrase of what um, Lynn read to us earlier. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Know this God is God. And God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. Amen. <laughs>